how would you like to get yourself a brand new copy of our free digital enlightened book right now? You can grab yourself a copy. The book includes insights from some of the world's top thought leaders and the core book itself. And once again, you can get yourself a copy at thisisthebook.com. Again, thisisthebook.com. And when it asks for a code near the top of the page in relation to the enlightened book, just use the code best ever you all lowercase and all spelled out, and then you'll have an email come along. Just confirm on that email, and the book will be immediately on its way to your inbox. Enjoy, and I hope you have a magical day. Hi, everyone. This is Shelly, a.k.a. The Phoenix. Are you ready to be motivated, educated, entertained, and inspired? Well, you have come to the right place. Now get your pen and paper ready because you're listening to the newest episode of the Conversations with Passion radio show with your host, Corey Poirier. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and excited to be back with the latest edition of the Conversations with Passion radio show, and really excited to have a brand new guest today. Uh, as our listeners know, Always excited when we bring on somebody brand new to the show. So Ike Mutabana, really excited to have you today. And I think probably the best starting point, Ike, would be to get you to tell us a little bit about your backstory for our listeners who may in fact be discovering you for the very first time. Absolutely, Corey. It's a pleasure to join you on this uh, conversation. And uh, my backstory is uh, um, pretty simple, actually. I uh, grew up in India. Um, in the city of Bombay, which is now called Mumbai. I uh, went to college to do an, a degree in engineering. Um, and while working, got interested in studying further, um, you know, decided to uh, come to the U.S. to study uh, for a postgraduate degree. So I did my master's in engineering at the University of Cincinnati in Ohio. And uh, since then, I've had a pretty interesting uh, career. I've I've done a, a ton of different types of jobs, um, mostly technology related, but um, often more on the business side, uh, where I've been helping customers uh, with, thing, with problem solving, things like supply chain uh, solutions, things like marketing, market research. I even had a brief stint in Indonesia where I tried to start a startup company in the e-learning space in Jakarta. Um, and then, um, you know, as time went by, I eventually became the chief technology officer for a couple of startups in the Boston area. Um, finally, about three years ago, I moved to Dallas, uh, Texas. This is where I am today. And uh, earlier um, this year, I plunged into business full-time for myself where I do um, multifamily apartment building investing as a business. Um, Simultaneously, I've also launched a podcast show called The Side Business Show. And, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a reason I started that, but, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that. So, so in a nutshell, that's my background. I love that, Ike. And so, yeah, we will definitely dive into your show because I love the idea behind side business and side businesses. And why I say that is because whenever, you know, whenever I guess I started in business my first time around and I'm going back and dating myself here, I think it was 1996 when I had my first business. Uh, I was just a, a young, uh, what are they, young pepper, if you will, at, at uh, I think I was 19 or 18. And I, uh, that time around, 
essentially side business was, it was very rare. Uh, the only side businesses that kind of existed was if somebody was uh, decided they wanted to have, um, they had maybe a full-time job and they launched a network marketing or a multi-level marketing company. So they, they set up a business, you know, where you would buy a business kit and right. then you might be in um, like a company like Amway or what have you. And, and you're, you know, sort of selling um, the products on the side, if you will. And that was really the only side businesses we really heard of. Everybody was either in business for themselves or they were working for somebody else, but there was no in between. And I love the fact that uh, it seems like, and I'd be throwing a timeline on it, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but maybe in the last five to eight years, it seems like a shift in that way to where we're seeing a lot of people rather than just taking the plunge into full-time business and all the risks that come with that and actually maybe taking what I would have said when I was starting a business, a more sensible move and easing your way in and, and starting as a side business so you can actually know for sure you're going to be able to sustain yourself. So this seems to be something really popular, uh, I guess, like I say, in recent years, Ike. So can you, I guess, maybe first of all, share with us why side business, you know, when it comes to sure. you starting on the side and then also the other side is why did you decide to launch uh, a, sh a show about side businesses? Yeah, sure. I mean, and you're exactly right, Corey. All of the analysis you did is perfectly right. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Um, I think the recognition of the concept of doing a side business is pretty recent, right? People are now cognizant of the fact that there are so many opportunities out there that they can pursue without taking on the risk of becoming full-time business people. Um, however, I would say that at some level, a lot of people have always done some kind of a side hustle, you know, um, sometime in their career. And they may not have recognized it as a business. You know, they might have thought of it as small, a small little gig that I'm doing here and there. But the reality is that every small effort counts. Um, I'll give an example, right? So I, when I was in college in Bombay in India, um, you know, it was an engineering college along with uh, two of my friends, you know, all three of us, we, you know, had a tough time, uh, you know, working through the expenses of going through college. I mean, which is the case here in the U.S. as well. And, uh, you know, for the first year of college, I actually did a sales job. I, I worked for a company where I was selling mid-range servers and I was going door-to-door -door in office complexes across Bombay trying to do that. Um, it was crazy. It was back-breaking work. Bombay is not an easy place to uh, be a salesperson, especially a field salesperson. And I'm talking about the uh, early 90s. Um, it was hot, humid. The infrastructure was not as, as, as uh, evolved as it has evolved now. Um, and um, the returns I got for it were not even close to commensurate to the effort I was putting in. So what happened was uh, when I, we were in the um, third year of college, which, you know, the junior year, basically, my friends and I, we decided, you know what, at that time, computers had started becoming, you know, personal computers had started becoming much more common. However, there was um, not that much knowledge of how to actually use them. People were intimidated by them. So what we discovered was a small little niche. We found that a lot of people who were in their final year of college where they had to publish their uh, bachelor's degree thesis or project or people who in the master's or PhD or people working in laboratories who were preparing project reports, they were still doing it using old style typewriters. Um, of course, some of them were using electronic typewriters, but not that much better, right? It, it's not as efficient and you cannot really format and, and make it pretty. Um, um, put the kind of jazzy graphics and stuff that you can do with a computer. So, 
you know, we, what we decided to do was we became proficient in using desktop publishing tools. In those days, there were tools like CorelDRAW, Ventura, uh, WordStar. You probably might fam be familiar with some of them perhaps, but we decided to learn those tools and then offer our services to prepare a, you know, better looking reports for all of these audiences. And that business really took off. It actually paid for a good semester of our college. So it, it, that's what, you know, I found that I probably did not look upon it as a business, but the reality is we were doing it like a business, right? And I'm sure a lot of people do it that way. What has happened over the last 10 years, though, as you were mentioning, is that it has now become a little more formalized and primarily due to the prevalence of the internet. The internet has made so many things available so much more easily to people that it is much more um, easier to conceive of the idea that you can actually do a side gig um, and run it like a business where you actually try to um, you know, do certain things in a systematic way, in a structured way that can then build up the savings and the wealth that is going to help you. Um, and again, you're exactly right that the risk of doing a business full-time is, is pretty high. I mean, I would say the last statistics I saw about 10 to 12% of Americans are full-time business owners, which means we're talking about close to 90% of Americans are in jobs, either in jobs or they're um, not fully employed. So there's a very, there's a vast potential here for people to go beyond their um, life in terms of their jobs or whatever it is that they're doing in their full-time responsibilities and to create a structured business on the side, which minimizes the risk of plunging in full-time, but builds up the confidence as well as the money that can potentially then take them down the path of doing it full-time if they choose to. And there are some I know who do it, who do a side business and intend to do it that way forever. So as I started studying this market and I started seeing it and doing it myself as well, I found that there was so much learning to be had and so many things that are possible that it just made sense to figure out a way to help people find the resources to do it. And that was the genesis of starting the, the podcast, right? I mean, a podcast where um, I can bring together the people who are doing side businesses successfully, sometimes not so successfully, but a variety of different stories from different walks of life. People, ordinary people like me, um, who can share their experiences and help other uh, people find ways in which they can extend themselves. Um, my goal was not to go and talk to very famous people. Um, some famous people like you, yes, but not, um, I'm not talking about people who've become uh, massive billionaire businessmen who are then reflecting back on their past life uh, because that is very hard to relate to for a, a person like me. I would much rather learn from someone who's like a neighbor who's done just a little bit to extend themselves and achieved um, that extra success. So, so that was the, the idea behind the podcast show. I love it. And so something you said there as well, Ike, and I, and I didn't know, I haven't really researched the numbers, but you had mentioned about the uh, number of business owners and how it's probably around 10%. What's interesting is I just heard this statistic the other day that uh, over 27% of Americans have a tattoo, at least one tattoo. So it's interesting how uh, <laughs> it sounds like for every one person that owns a business, uh, there's three that have a tattoo. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> so, it tells you something about priorities, right? 
Yes, absolutely. So I just, I just, anyway, that was just a random thing I heard the other day. So I guess then, like, and you know, when you said that, just if I'm reflecting as well, so when you said that about having a side business without thinking of it as a side business, that's so, that was in a lot of ways that really spoke to me because for me personally, I can go back to whenever I was, as you said, in school. And I mean, I worked part time. Uh, some of the jobs I actually worked, you could almost call them full time. But near the end of school, and this is something I did, but I know I only did it uh, closer to when I graduated, but a lot of people were doing it during school. I started playing music gigs for money. So I, I play music and I have CDs out and all that stuff now, but back then I was just starting, but I would go out and play gigs and, and get paid for my music gigs. Then fast forward a bunch of years, I started performing stand-up comedy and I got paid a little bit when I did it. But truly those are side businesses and, and I wasn't thinking of it that way, but I know many people that played music while they were in school and especially in university and college to help pay the bills, but I never thought of it, but truly that's a side business. No, you're right, uh, Corey. In fact, if you think about it, you know, fast forward to today, if you did that exact same thing today, right, where you were uh, performing music and recording CDs and stuff, if you did that today, imagine how transformed the world is, how easily you could actually do that as a structured business and really make some, um, some very good progress in doing so. So you would, it, it would be so easy for you, for you, for example, to print business cards. Um, back in that day, Printing business cards meant you actually had to spend a little bit of money behind it. Now you can go on something like Vistaprint and for 10 bucks, you can get like, you know, 200 cards um, and, and really fancy ones for that. You can go on a place like Fiverr.com or Freelancer.com and easily get someone to make you a video or get someone to create graphic arts for you to put as cover art on your CDs. Um, you don't even need to do CDs if you don't want to. I mean, you can save the expense of burning CDs by creating single tracks and then putting them, selling them on iTunes. So if you think about it, the opportunities available today to do that is many, many fold than what we had earlier, which means it becomes even more important today when you do these things to think of them as a structured business, because that's what allow you to then really do it in a systematic way and then grow from there. Right. So you can continue doing your full time job or whatever it is else you do. You might be taking care of children at home. It doesn't matter. As long as you follow a structured process and use all of the resources that today's modern age gives us, you actually can run a business without having the risk of doing it full time. So this brings up uh, what I'll call maybe a follow-up question. Uh, what now? If you think about it, like like you mentioned, and I agree completely, the ease of entry we may call it is so much. Um, I guess it's it's so much easier to enter a market now uh, for a business than it's ever been before. You mentioned, you know, you're saying about who who people could relate to, and not a lot could relate to that retired, perhaps billionaire that's world famous, made a lot of their money, and now is kind of maybe just at that stage where they're in cruise mode. But you know, what I always think about is what are the odds that those people that became the billionaires, if you take out, let's say, the maybe a upcoming trend or get rich type scenario like the dot-com was years ago. If you take that out, what are the odds now today you're going to see that person um, get to that level? Or, and, and I'll explain what I mean by this, but, or it's the same thing as we, I mentioned musicians. You know, back in the day, the musicians like the Metallicas, the Aerosmiths, uh, the Britney Spears, you know, drop the name, but they were uh, few and far between. 
But to make it to that level was, was um, if, you, if you were in the top percent, you could make it easier because there wasn't as much competition and to get in was a lot harder. Uh, same with, I mentioned comics or you could say actors, you know, the Brad Pitts of the world. My curiosity is, what do you think, do you think the odds are as great that we're going to see those people in the future? Or do you think that time is gone because now everybody can compete? So it's harder to become the one famous person if you have, you know, 5,000 people that can enter the market for the, you know, for what five or 10 could have entered before. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. And here's how, how would I, I would answer that, right? Um, it is definitely harder to become that multi-billionaire from scratch today than it was perhaps 50 years ago, right? Um, you could discover an oil well and become a billionaire overnight, um, or you could have inherited land, and then that you know leads to development over time, makes you a billionaire. Or I mean, that, there might be a sequence of events that somehow led to you chancing upon a business opportunity, and you, of course, had the motivation, passion, and the ability to capitalize on it. The, all of that is definitely much harder. But, but here's what has changed and what makes it so relevant for people to do a side business. The fact of the matter is that it's not that the amount of um, opportunity out there is static. The amount of opportunity also has increased along with the resources and the difficulties, which means the pie has become larger. So if in the past it was possible perhaps for one or two people to become famous musicians and, and have these blockbuster albums where they make millions and billions of dollars, that may perhaps be harder today but exactly as you said, now there's a possibility for 5,000 people to become um, maybe not millionaires, but maybe half millionaires. So what? Half millionaires is much better than being nothing, right? Sure. Um, the, the opportunity today is that because of the fact that there is so much of democratization um, of resources, you can find a small area, a small niche in which you can become reasonably successful in, in ways that you could never have become earlier. So yes, it's possible that 50 years ago, you might have been, you might have the talent to have become a millionaire or billionaire kind of a musician. And maybe that may not happen today, but you can get to a level along with many other people that you can carry along uh, to raise their, their ability to get there versus what you could have done 50 years ago. So I think the thing we have to focus on is the fact that the pie has widened. There is more opportunity. Today, you're exposed to things that you could never be exposed to. Just as an example, um, think of yourself, Corey, right? You're a speaker today. Um, and that your ability to be a professional speaker, someone who actually motivates people, inspires people, do you feel that that is a lot more easier to attain today than it was 20 years ago? And if so, um, do you think that just because of the fact that, you know, a thousand other people can also do the same in any way limits your ability to find success within your niche? Probably not, right? Probably you can still succeed and you are. Um, and that's primarily because of all the avenues available today. Yeah, um, if absolutely. And, and I'll add to that. Uh, yeah. So I'll say it in two different ways. Uh, but hundred percent. So going back to, I guess, sort of validates what we were just saying. The it's a lot harder for a speaker today to become. Let's say they'll get to a Tony Robbins level. And in yeah. fact, I mean, there was one, only one Tony Robbins. But of course, there's a whole list of speakers that are sort of, you know, your Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar's, who are in a certain category, all into their own. And it's probably harder to become 
that today, you know, at that level. Um, it was never easy. Let's, I mean, we got to call a spade a spade too. It was only for an elite few, but it's harder now to break through. But at the same time, going back to your point, it's certainly a lot easier for the speaker that before may not have even been able to get on the stage or may not have been able to get in front of an audience. Now they have a portion of the pie that they can get in front of. And now we're seeing niche speakers that before didn't even have a category they could have used, like say a Gary Vaynerchuk, who didn't exist then and jumped onto the scene and all of a sudden is one of the most famous speakers because he went into a niche that nobody else was into, which was, of course, how do you dominate in social media by hustling? Right. And so I agree completely, Ike, and, and, but I'll even add onto that, you know, broadcasting, something we're both doing, you and I, if we take that example, the, the odds of, you know, you and I broadcasting 25 years ago with complete freedom to do it and without having, without being signed up to a, a you know, a broadcasting institute or going through broadcasting and journalism course, uh, maybe, you know, two or three years would be very, very slim. And in fact, I turned down an opportunity to be a host of, a, I'll just say, a very commercial show with a large entity in, in, in basically uh, so that I could do my own show. That wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't even turn it down 25 years ago if you wanted to be in broadcasting. So, yeah, and, and to add as well to that, so first of all, we have more opportunities than ever, and broadcasting is a great example with podcasting, with all the platforms we have to choose from. But I was just at a conference, Podcast uh, Movement, in fact, uh, that I spoke spoke at in Anaheim a couple of months ago, and Dan Carlin was there, who hosts the um, uh, what's it called, uh, Hardcore History, uh, a right. show that he hosts, and he was a, like a top guy. You know, he spent 12 years now as a podcaster, and he said people ask him all the time, "Does it bother you now that it's so much easier for the you know everyday person to get into podcasting?" And now, where you started this niche as a pioneer, you're competing with everybody. And he said, "Well, the truth is, today podcasting is whatever the number is, 12 percent of Americans have heard a podcast." So he said, before, when I started, I had to even explain what a podcast was. He said, the work right. I had to do to get people even to understand what I was doing was so astronomical. He said, I'd rather have a whole bunch more people chipping at the pie, but also at the same time helping introduce more Americans to podcasting than to be trying to chip at a smaller pie altogether. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's exactly the point. And that applies to practically every field today, Corey, right? Um, I, when I started thinking about getting some graphic artwork done for my website, um, I didn't have to go find and talk to 10 people to figure out, you know, where I can find someone who's going to charge me, you know, $10,000 to do this. Um, all I did was went on a couple of websites, you know, you know, put it out on Facebook. And the next thing I know, I had like 10 recommendations of people to talk to. One person, the person I'm eventually going to be using is sitting in um, North Carolina. Um, in a small little mountain town. And, uh, you know, we talk on the phone, we communicate on email, and she is going to charge me like $50 an hour, and I'm going to get fantastic work out of that. It's, it's impossible to conceive of that even 10 years ago. Um, so the, the reality is that this person may never be an extremely high-end graphic designer making a lot of money, but she is supplementing her income in a very substantial way. Even if she gets, you know two to three clients a month, that makes it a huge income supplement to whatever job she's doing full time. So people are now finding that they can use their talents, their passion, their skills, um, and even something as interesting as history, right? If someone is interested in history and they start a podcast, 
I, you know, I was with you, Corey, in that, uh, in that podcast movement conference. And I remember that exactly, you know, his podcasts are like six hours long, um, which just blew my mind that I would, that someone would sit for six hours to listen to it. But the reality is that he's found an amazing niche. So as long as you've found a niche or you found something that works, it doesn't even have to be something nobody has done. If it's something that can work and where you can find a specific um, customer base who's going to appreciate the value you're creating for them, you've got a business. The only thing you have to do now is to use your motivation, use your ingenuity in figuring out how you're going to target that, that audience, that customer base, and how you're going to do it in a way that is going to optimize your time and to bring you that additional income that um, is apart from your job. Um, in today's time, having those multiple streams of income is the key to ensuring that you can have financial freedom, right? I mean, there's no guarantee of jobs. There's no guarantee of where companies are. A company like Arthur Anderson, that, which was the bellwether of consulting firms, literally went belly up overnight. Um, that can happen to any company out there. So having this ability to be able to take a low-risk initiative into a business world is a very important thing, I feel, today for almost every American, not just every American, everywhere in the world. In fact, I read that the second largest number of uh, people in the world who do side businesses are in Australia. Um, the, the statistics was like some 19 million people do side businesses in Australia, which stunned me because I believe the population of Australia is less than 30 million, which means almost half or more are doing a side business in Australia. Um, our numbers are larger in the US, but in percentage terms, much lower. So we have a long way to go. Wow. And, you know, I, one thing I'll add as well, like in terms of when you mentioned it, I mentioned Dan Carlin and you were saying about, you know, he's found a, a great niche and you and I are both shocked about, you know, how long people are willing to listen to a history show. The other thing that would be important to add is he drops a show like once every six months, which is another amazing thing that he can put a show out once every six months and have an audience clamoring and waiting for that long. But on top of that, and you probably heard this when he was sharing it as well, he said it really quickly in passing, but I thought it was pretty significant, is that his latest episode, I think, was out for two weeks when he was on the stage, and he said, I think it was 21 million people had listened to it already. Exactly. Well, I think, and, that was, and that was more than the audience that I think the last Jay Leno show got, right? Yes. <laughs> so Just astounding, right? So whenever we say like niche, sometimes people, I think almost all the time, people think of niche and niche, niche or niche, depending on what we want to call it. Sure. Um, people think of small and you know, I think it's important sometimes to recognize that um, just because it's a niche doesn't mean that uh, it has to be like a small business forever type thing. Like uh, Seth Godin, I remember one time talking about, and I'm paraphrasing because it's a while since I heard this story, but he talked about this company that was doing cruises and they were, they were doing okay, but they weren't doing great. And then uh, one person that was on a cruise said something to them and it struck a chord and they said, whoa, maybe there's something here. And what they had said was, you know, it'd be so cool if we could take our, our motorbikes on the cruises with us. <laughs> so the light bulb went off and what they did, if I remember it all correctly, is they decided to start making essentially what it turned into is Harley or motorbike, but I think it was Harley, Harley only cruises. And so basically oh what happened God. was, they started, they started taking cruises with people with their Harleys and they would take them, say, to Mexico or whatever and then they drive off the boat and then they drive around Mexico for the day and their Harleys and what have you. And the end result is, I think he said they went from 
struggling till right until cruise date almost to fill the cruise to something like they were three or four uh, cruises in advance sold out on a regular basis within something like a year. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. In fact, um, let me give an example, Corey, of something that is a little bit more ordinary, actually, so that people don't get intimidated, right, by that example. Um, on my show, I interviewed this, this lady who's an executive assistant for a CEO. Um, she, along with her job, her nine to five job being an executive assistant, decided that she was going to get into house flipping, right? She just saw a bunch of shows on HGTV, said, oh, this sounds interesting. Let me just try it out. She made hundreds of thousands of dollars in house flipping at the point where she got to the point where now she had enough money um, to figure out how to invest and not to worry about the job. So she still does the job. That's the interesting part. She's still in her nine to five job as an executive assistant to the CEO. Um, and she's used the money she's built up in house flipping to go invest in building a fitness center. So she's got now one of the first 24-7 fitness centers in the Boston area. And she's already done so well with that, that she's expanding that. So it doesn't have to always be something dramatically niche, right? Or niche, as you said. Um, it can even be something that is straightforward and simple. But the key thing is you've got to take that first step. You've got to take the action. You've got to um, drive up the motivation to realize that stepping out of your comfort zone uh, without taking on that risk is possible. And you need to just do it. Absolutely. And so as we start to wind down, Ike, I'd like to get your thoughts, you know, because we're talking about uh, something you said that kind of still stuck with me since you said it. So we're talking about side businesses. We're talking about how can you run a, you know, how can you basically find that either a niche or, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Some people's side business, like we said about music, you know, maybe they're just doing the traditional thing, playing mm -hmm. cover songs. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're taking that approach and finding a very targeted audience. But either way, one of the challenges I think that we may have going forward, so this is what popped into my head when you were talking about, you know, people are realizing now that graphic designer is what actually triggered it, but that graphic designer that's now maybe supplementing their income, one of the challenges we may face in the future, I think, and we're dealing with it with technology, like where people are multitasking on their phones all day, every day, and never really focused, is downtime and time for us and, and actually not being wired all the time. So what are your thoughts on, I guess, either ways we can do that or just, you know, what that, you know, what that means, the fact that now we're all multitasking and even like in this case, it might be multitasking between your job and then, you know, you get off your job and then eight minutes later you're home without eating supper and all of a sudden you're into the side business. Right, right. So I, th I think that's a valid point. The work-life balance has always been a struggle, especially in America, right? Because as an industrialized nation, but one that is so capitalist driven, um, this has been a challenge regardless of whether you're doing a nine to five job or not. Um, even in the jobs, um, I remember, you know, my days working in startups and smaller companies in the Boston area. Um, it didn't matter what, what it said in terms of how long my job should be. I was working insane hours. I was, used to be on call and get calls at 11 in the night if, if something went wrong with our technology system. Um, so that is a reality that everybody deals with. Um, there's an interesting thing that one of my guests said on, on our side business show, which is that he has decided that because of the reality that it's really hard to create that so-called balance, he's now adjusted himself to something he calls work-life integration, where what he tries to think about is, how can I get my work done, but also figure out a way in which that, while doing that work, in some parts of it, I can include my family, my significant other, 
um, you know, other things in life that I'm, I find pleasure in. So as an example, if you enjoy reading, right, and you've only done reading, um, you only keep reading fiction all the time. Well, here is where you can make a slight change. You can still enjoy reading, but go find books that are going to help you figure out how you can get into a side business or you can expand your thinking about, um, you know, how to approach a business. Or perhaps you might think that perhaps doing an active business is not right for you. So you want to think about investing. Um, when you get into something like passive investing, which is I look upon that as a side business as well, because you are taking a, an intelligent, structured approach to it if you want to be successful. Um, do that. I mean, that's not something that's going to take you as much time as an actively managed business is going to take. But again, you need to learn, right? You need to study. You need to be able to do your homework. So do that. If, if reading doesn't work for you, then maybe while you're doing something else, maybe you're going biking, right? Or you're go, going to the gym. Uh, put on your headset on your phone and listen to an audiobook. Learn something from it. Listen to a podcast show. Um, when you're out there, um, you know, on, on a business trip, well, maybe what you can do is if your significant other, if it's possible, take them with you and see if you can steal some time to go do some sightseeing or uh, spend the night out with your significant other. There's so many different ways today that's available where you can find ways in which you can integrate your life with your work um, and find some level of fulfillment. I'm not saying I know the answer to your question. I think it's, it's a really tough situation. Um, life has become harder and harder. Um, you know, my wife and I, for instance, we have this rule where we, when we sit down to eat together, whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner with our kids, we make it a point to put aside our phones completely, right? We will not even answer the home phone. We will simply not answer anything that disturbs us from the experience of having food. Now, that is that 30 minutes to 45 minutes. It's, it's great, right? Because it allows us to completely focus and concentrate on each other. Um, talk about our day. Our, our kids share what's going on in school with us. My wife and I share what's going on in our lives um, at work and outside of that with our friends or, or things we've heard. We talk about politics. We talk about business. We talk about all kinds of things. Uh, and sometimes we'll also talk about our, our side business initiatives. My wife is trying to start a side business along with her job where she's trying to get together with a bunch of women to create a mobile app for people, for women to exchange clothes. It's, Interesting stuff. There's no reason it has to be divorced from uh, what we're doing in our lives. But I think we need to all consciously find ways to not live in our little solitary confinement that we've created and, and find ways to um, integrate all of that with our families and our loved ones. So I mean, that's all I can offer, really. No, no. And I, I, I love that, Ike. And, and I, I, what it raised, it made me you know, think as we're talking about it, that, you know, maybe there's a, and what we can talk with this down the road, but a case for uh, bringing you back on, I, I mean, I plan to bring you back on either way, but bringing you back on maybe with somebody who focuses on the other side, which is like, you know, on holistic health, like yeah. meditation, yoga, sleeping, what we should eat to kind of balance it off. You know, like I, I struggle myself with, um, I know how powerful yoga is and, and I, Right. Use yoga in the past to help me with balance problems and health issues, and and it, I mean to be honest, it was the best I've ever felt in my life. I mean, I still feel great, but it was the best I ever felt when I was doing yoga regularly, and and I meditated for a while and I had you know, great experiences, and I know better. But then when we get busy, it's so easy to go. I don't have time for that right now. I but agree. I mean, it might be an hour a day, 
and you look at all the you know all the hours we put into our lives whether it's full-time business or whether it's part-time business and and full-time job and then our family and everything else it's really sad sometimes if we can't take one hour give ourselves one hour back i agree, I agree. and i struggle with the two so I, that's why i asked the question it's not like i have all the answers either but <laughs> i think in some ways it comes down to if if there's no way to sort of um, reduce the amount of time we're going to put in during the day, you know, whether, like I said, if the side business calls and then the regular job needs to pay the bills, it, you know, there's nothing saying we can't get up an hour earlier and maybe meditate or read or, or do some yoga or something that gives us some time back too. Right, right. I agree. I mean, and I, I, you, even some simple things can also change, right? I mean, if you have the habit, for instance, of going with your buddies every Friday to a bar, well, maybe you can cut back on that a little bit, right? Instead of going every single Friday, go um, every second Friday or every third Friday. And that, that gives you back those couple of hours you spend in the bar. Um, if you might decide that, you know, you're always going to um, go partying a certain number of times, well, reduce a little bit of that. Find ways to not completely give it up, but in order to reutilize some of that time that you can save in doing something else, which may be either productive from a financial perspective or maybe productive from a life perspective. Um, I, I'll just end this with one really awesome example. It's not time related, but it's related to habit. Um, I used to have a colleague, he and his wife, actually they were both colleagues. They had this habit of smoking. They used to smoke like, I don't know how many packets a day. And one day, um, this friend of mine, this colleague, he read this report, which talked about the costs of smoking in a year. And it struck him and his wife that the amount of money they were spending in buying cigarettes and smoking, if they gave it up, four years of giving it up, the amount of money they would save would pay for the first year of college of their son when he was ready. Wow. And it just struck him like a thunderbolt. And next day, they literally, next day they decided together they were going to give up smoking. They did. They went through massive withdrawal, but they just stuck to it because it occurred to them how one little habit in their life, if they transformed it, would transform their son's life, you know, in college. That much less debt to take. So, so there's all kinds of ways in which you can introspect and reflect upon your life and try and find ways of doing things better. You know, it's one of the things I say often is that if you figure out your why, the how will become a lot easier. And so what I mean there is if your why is big enough, so in this case, their, their son's college, then you'll figure out the how, and the how would be how to actually quit. Right, and, right. And it'll take you through the hard times. Um, Ike, in terms of, you know, as we fully kind of bring ourselves to a close and winding down, uh, I'll call this a to-be-continue with your permission because I know we barely scratched the surface. Sure. But my last, I, I have a last official question and then an unofficial question. The official question, I, I call it official because it's the only question that I'm asking you today that I had sort of prepared. Um, and it's not even that it was prepared as much as it's a question I ask almost every guest we bring on. Uh, so it's just a question I know I like to ask. But the question is, if you could sit across from a younger version of yourself, let's call him maybe 16 or 18, you can pick the timeline, and give him one piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, what do you think you might tell him? Um, don't make excuses. Don't ever make excuses. I think, despite the fact that I've always been very entrepreneurial in my way of thinking and, and doing things, I did go through a phase, especially... Um, as an immigrant to the US, right? I moved from India. I came here as a student. Um, and there was a period when I was an immigrant in the US where I was going through the immigration process. And for those few years, for most Americans who may not realize, the immigration process in the US is brutal. 
you do it legally, you do it the right way. It is a brutal process. Um, and in those years, I felt like I made so many excuses for not doing certain things that could have advanced me dramatically. And I, I feel like if I had, um, if I had someone had given me that lesson, if I had come to myself and said, don't make excuses, I would have stretched myself and found ways to do things that I could have been in a different place today. I'm not regretting at all where I am. I, I love my life. I love where I am today. But that is one thing that I, I do feel that I could have done much better. So it doesn't matter what situation in life you're in. I have met people in my life even today who are uh, unemployed or who have you know, gone through a certain crisis. And unfortunately, they get caught up in their own excuses. They get caught up in these justifications on why certain things cannot happen or why certain things are not right in their life. And you, you're right. There might be things that are beyond your control, but there are always some things that are in your control. It's up to you to find ways to take those things that are in your control and then find solutions to things that could make things better. The bottom line is don't make excuses. I love that. And, and I, I, you know, that's advice that I would uh, certainly give to my younger self as well. And I you know, mentioned that, um, you know, you don't regret or, or you wouldn't necessarily change things. And, and you know, I, I, that question, I, I used to always follow it up with, would your younger self listen? And most people have said, no, uh, they wouldn't have probably listened. But at the same time, it's, it's also important to recognize that even though I ask the question, because I like to see what people are reflective on, the truth is, if for most of us, we know that if we made one change, we would have a butterfly ripple effect that could change everything. I mean, you know, just the change of like, and we'll use the excuses example, you know, who knows where it all ties together. But maybe if you go back to, you know, the, as Steve Jobs called joining up your dots, maybe if you go back to the dots in your life, you might not have met your, your wife if, you know, if anything mm -hmm. changed. So I always say I wouldn't change anything, but it's important to reflect on what advice I wish I had when I was younger. I agree. I agree completely. So, Ike, I promise the very last question will be the unofficial one, and that's simply, uh, and maybe the most important one, especially with a short interview, is for people that have listened and want to learn more about how to start a side business, they think it might be for them, they've heard the numbers that we said that were percentages that are lower than one might think, of people running businesses or side businesses, uh, or you've triggered something in them that said, you know what, I'd like, to, I'd like to have the supplemental income that I don't have right now. Where would you normally direct them to learn more about you and the, the side business show and, and all things like? Sure, sure. So um, two things I can offer, right? One is um, just go to my website, which is thesidebusiness.show. Um, you can put a .com if you prefer, thesidebusinessshow.com. They both map to the same website. Um, so the side business show, you can see all of the episodes uh, we've had, all the guests we've invited, all the interesting things that we've learned from these guests as they have expanded their lives with their side businesses. The other thing I can offer is if, if uh, your audience wants to write to me, my email address is Ike, that's I-K-E, Ike, at the side business show, um, Ike at the side business show. And what I can offer is with the write to me, um, I'll be happy to share with them um, several business ideas, especially I've got these three really interesting side business ideas that people can start, um, you know, in a matter of days, literally, without any investment. I mean, a lot of people hold back because they feel like I don't want to invest cash in this. But there are so many business ideas you can do without putting in any investment. So I'll be happy to share those ideas. There are three to five really interesting ideas. So write to me, Ike at thesidebusiness.show. 
Well, Ike, this has been an absolute pleasure, which I knew it would be. Uh, we even even a longer conversation than I planned, which is which is good because that uh, obviously that tells us that uh, you know I, I felt that this conversation had to keep going, and that's also why I called it a to be continued because I know we barely scratched the surface. But this has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for joining us today, uh, sharing so much amazing insight, and maybe just maybe we've uh, we've convinced one more person that uh, it's time to chase their business dream or their side business dream. So thank you once again, Ike. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Corey. Thank you for inviting me. And I, I certainly hope that at least a few people have been inspired by this to, uh, um, to, to, to explore it, right? I mean, you really won't even know if you can, if you don't even explore it. So start by exploring it and then, and then figure out if you can take action. Love it. Perfect. So thank you so much, Ike. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, that's all, folks. That's another great show with a few great concepts and ideas that might be just what you need to get your ball rolling. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank a few people for helping make this show possible. IB Trade Show. Go to ibtradeshow.com. Engaged Leadership. Go to in-gaged.ca. Permadry. Guaranteed solutions for leaky basements. Go to permadry.com. Sites and Bytes. Your site for great service. Sitesandbytes.ca. Oxford Learning, never stop learning. Go to OxfordLearning.com. SmileDog, your receptionist. Go to SmileDog.ca. Thanks again for tuning in. On behalf of Corey Poirier, I am Marco Kelly, and this has been Conversations with Passion. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.